Fascinating, as we've gone through Genesis, we, we learn a lot about the guys, right? The lineages of the guys with impronounceable names and impossible things that we go on and we stumble across, but we just don't see very many women in those long list of names. And we're going to go through and look at those, and we're going to focus a little, we're going to start looking at some in the New Testament, but go back and look at some of the lineage of the unlikely mothers in the uh, in the genealogy of the Messiah. So if you look at this and, and look at that chart there, there'll be a couple tests on names later for you. But I, I, I put that up. These are the names that come out of the genealogies in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, uh, the genealogy of Joseph, as well as Luke 3, 23 through 38, Mary's genealogy. And the, the perspective that I want you to get here is if you look at these names, and these are from Abraham on. So, so these names come from Abraham. So we, we've talked a lot about the genealogy from Adam through to Abraham already as we've gone through Genesis. And it would have been even more impossible to look at this if I'd have included all of those. So we're, we're Abraham further. And, and what I want to point out is where you see a, a name that's, that's horizontal with another name. So at the top we have Judah and Tamar. And this, um, obviously you're not going to be able to read it. Uh, but we have Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba. The concepts are if you look through the lineage in Matthew and Luke, those are the only women named in the lineage from Abraham on. We don't hear about Sarah. We don't hear about Rebekah. Uh, we don't hear about any Leah or anybody else. We have these names. And as if, you, if you go back and look at these, these are incredibly improbable people to have in the lineage of Christ. And so we're going to look at each of these ladies just a little bit and just kind of get a glimpse of what God saw, what he looked at, and maybe help us to have a little better appreciation just of of the responsibility of mothers, and in some cases, these ladies that just really were surprising in that role. But let's, let's go back to the beginning, right? So Mother's Day really started in Genesis, as much as, as Anna Jarvis really brought it forth in the United States. But we, we learned about Mother's Day in Genesis, and, and Eve was the mother of, of all living. So we see that in Genesis 3, uh, verse 20, that that uh, God, say, God gives Adam the opportunity to name Eve, and the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. She was the beginning. And it's interesting because Adam had a similar claim, right, as being the father of all living, but we never hear that. Um, in, in fact, is we, we, we pretty much think of Abraham as the father, not Adam. And I think it's the importance that, that Adam placed upon Eve as well. And obviously, Eve came with a couple of blemishes. She, uh, she was the first to sin. So she has a couple of claims to fame uh, in things. And, and she struggled with some issues there. But, but she was the beginning. And we see in Genesis 3, her brush with, with Satan. And we, we see there where God is, is going to punish her. And, and all of you ladies can thank Eve for the pain in childbirth because we probably at least would look at it from before that time that it would have been a quick and easy thing like you make most things look like in your lives, that you would have just gone on uh, in, in between doing this task and this task, or as Dan was saying, between putting out the mattress and choking the brother having a baby, right, without any hesitation and, and catch and, and go. And, but we see then that because of the original sin of Eve that, that uh, pain was brought into childbirth, 
And then as we move on there, God continues to talk about them and he gives Adam the chance to name Eve, uh, and, and he does. And then God made them garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed. And this was the first sacrifice. So this is now the beginning. We're, we're now moving into the reality for us. So, so we are sinners, right? Every one of us in the room have sinned and fall short of the, of the glory of God. We have, we have no hope outside of, of what God promised to Adam and Eve and then has brought through in the generation through the birth of Christ. And so we're going to look at these people that God inserted in. Because these ladies that we're going to talk about today were inserts. These were not people that should have been in the lineage. If you would have written the lineage out, knowing what you know of God from the, the first few books of, of the Bible or the first few chapters of Genesis, you would not have included these ladies. So, so we're going to look at this and see what we can have. And, and to start off with the fact that, that Eve was the first mother, the first Mother's Day was celebrated with Cain and then Abel and Seth and the rest of the family there, but the first sacrifice that, uh, that allowed this to happen occurred early in Genesis with the sacrificing of the animals where God took their skin to clothe Adam and Eve. And there began then the journey that we face today. And because of that, I had to wear a suit and tie this morning. So it's all the fault of Genesis 3.21. I should have worn animal hide. So let's go on then and see who else God has in this family tree. And we're going to start with Tamar. So we're, we're in Genesis. And we'll hear more about Tamar, no doubt, as we go through Genesis and look at that. But we pick up on Tamar in Genesis chapter 38 and, and verses 6 through now 30. And Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So this was a tradition. The, the father would pick the bride in many cases. We've been seeing that, right, with Abraham and sending his, his servant to go pick up a bride for Isaac. And, and we're seeing that for, for Isaac and, and Rebekah sending off their son Jacob to go back and to get a bride. So they may not have picked an individual, but they picked a group that they were going to take their family from. And so this was a common thing. And, uh, but Ur was just not maybe the best guy around. So we know in verse 7 that he was evil in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life. Boy, every time I read a verse like that, I'm thankful that, that God has had mercy on me because that, you could, you could put my name in there, but, but Dean, uh, Jerry, second born, was evil in the sight of the Lord and he could have taken my life, but he didn't. So there's a, there's a beautiful pattern here of God and his righteousness and, and he has a plan here. So, okay, we, we follow on. Then Judah said to Onan, the second born, Go into your brother's wife. So this was also a common place. So Onan did not have a wife. And the thing that would happen then is the secondborn would take the firstborn's wife. They would have children, but the children wouldn't belong to the secondborn. They would belong to the firstborn, which is a fascinating concept as you go through this. So Onan, Judah said to Onan, go to your brother's wife and perform your duty as a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. And Onan knew that the offspring would not be his, so it came about that when he went into his brother's wife, he wasted his seed on the ground in order to not give offspring to his brother. Well, you know, I'm thinking that if my brother's an evil man and God takes him, I'm going to pay a little more attention. I'm thinking I don't have to learn everything the hard way, but Onan apparently did. And, and what he did was displeasing in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord took his life as well. 
Now, what's fascinating here is the response of Judah. So Judah's response isn't, my sons, what is wrong with them? But rather, he almost cast an aspersion on Tamar. Ooh, this lady's not a good lady. Both of my boys are gone now, and the, and the common denominator's her. And, and so Judah says to his daughter-in-law, hmm, I think, I think you should remain a widow in your father's house until my son Selah grows up, for he thought, I'm afraid that he too may die like his brother. So Tamar went and lived in her father's house. So after a considerable time, Shua's daughter, the wife of Judah, died. And when the time of mourning was ended, Judah went up to his sheep shears at Tinmah, Tinnah, and he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And he was told to Tamar, Behold, your father-in-law is going up to, to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she removed her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil and wrapped herself. And she sat at the gateway of Enam, which is on the road to Timnah, for she saw that Shelah had grown up and she had not been given him as a wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a harlot, for she had covered her face. So, being a really righteous pillar of the, the family of uh, the lineage of Christ, he turned aside of the road and said, Here now, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. And she said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He said, I will send you a kid from the flock. And she said, What will you pledge until you send it? He said, I'll give you... Uh, my signet ring, uh, your seal, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand, so that he gave them to her, went into her, and she conceived by him. And she arose, departed, and removed her veil, and put on her widow's garments. Now, so here we have this discombobulated nightmare of a story that you, you expect to see in some seedy novel or in some, some movie, but, but not in the Bible that, that's the lineage of Christ. And, and as we go on, so, so Judah goes on to the sheep shears. He says, send a kid down to the prostitute down there and, uh, and name and we'll take care of her and, and we'll move on in life. And so they did that, but of course she wasn't there. Well, that was interesting. When, and then we pick it up again in chapter, or in verse 24 there. Now it was about three months later that Judah was informed, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played the harlot. And behold, she is also with child by harlotry. And Judah said, well, let's bring her out and burn her up because she's a bad woman and I knew it, right? You can just see Judah saying to his, his buddies, I knew she was bad. I knew it from the beginning. I lost two boys to that girl. I just knew there was something wrong with her and look at that. And, and so they, they brought her out. So they were on their way to, to bring this to fruition, to burn her. And she was brought out that she sent her father-in-law saying, I am with child by the man to whom these things belong. And she said, please examine and see whose signet ring and cords and staff are these. And Judah recognized them. And immediately his heart repented. It's a beautiful thing when you see this. This, this is why Judah's in the line of Christ. Because God knew that he may not be the best man, but when put into this deal, his, he would repent. She is more righteous than I, inasmuch as I did not give her my son, and he did not have relationships, relations with her again. And it came about that she gave birth, and she had twins in her womb. And what a beautiful story. So here's a, here's a woman that, that by right should have been giving the third son. That was the, that was the way things were supposed to go. She wasn't. Now, she was deceptive, but she's just one in the long line of deceivers, right? Just We've got Rebecca, we've got Abraham and Sarah. She's my sister, 
We've got Isaac and Rebecca. She's my sister. We've got Rebecca. Go in and put these goat skins on you. He'll never recognize that you're Jacob. He'll think you're Esau. This is not the first one. It's not the first problem we see. But what we have a recognition here is that God has chosen her to carry on the line. It could have been any of the other of Judah's offspring that did this. But instead, God chose here. But I love the fact that Judah repented. It, you're right. It's, she's not the biggest sinner here. It's me. And he went on to take care of her, and she had two kids, and, and they, they were Perez and Zerah. And, and we now know that Perez, the line of Perez through Tamar made her the great, 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 great grandmother of Solomon. Right? And that's only important because that's the next lady that we see in the lineage of Christ in the New Testament because he married Rahab. So let's have a look at, at Rahab. And, and, and to do this, I, I often think here of God. The picture for me in, in the lesson from Tamar is that if God will continue the messianic line through her offspring, the product of incest, harlotry, fornication, and deception. This is truly a God of grace. This is truly a God who understands me. He truly gets me. And he brought forth this line because it would make sense to me. Rahab. What an amazing person Rahab is. We pick up in Rahab and Joshua. So we've, we've moved on. We've covered some generations now. And as, as we've pulled through this, and we've seen the, uh, we've seen the Israelites leave Egypt now, and, and we've seen them go into or are getting ready to be in the promised land, into Canaan. And there are Canaanites in Canaan, right? That's, that's the name. And they, they are mortal enemies of the Jews, of the Israelites. These are really bad, bad people. These are not the kind that you, you don't, you wouldn't come home with a Canaanite girl on your arm and introduce you to your Israelite father, right? Just wouldn't work. That's not where you would go. And you probably wouldn't compound that challenge by bringing home a Canaanite harlot to your Israelite father and introduce them and say, We're we just, we, we eloped. But it's okay because we know that the line of Christ is going to go through us. You're just, you're just not going to go there. And so what do we know about Rahab? Rahab was a woman of immense faith. This was a woman who saw God even though she was not an Israelite. This was a woman who had a better handle on who God was than most of us do. You hear me? This was a woman who had a better handle on who God was than most of us do. This lady should be somebody we really seriously look at and say, wow, I want to have faith like her. So let's look at the picture. So Joshua sent two men as spies secretly into Canaan. And, and he said, now go view the land and especially Jericho because this is a linchpin in us taking over the Canaan, is Jericho. We've got to understand that. So they went into a house of a harlot. Now that might make sense, right? So that might be an easy thing. You're probably not going to go into the house of one of the upstanding people of 
of Jericho. They probably won't let you in their house. So I get the fact that the spies went into the house of a harlot because, well, God, by God, that's probably what people do. So this was easy. That makes sense. I they bet they had no idea what they were getting into. I bet these guys were so surprised. I would have loved to have seen the expression on their face as she went on to speak to them. So the, the king of Jericho knows this happened. The, so there's, there's gates going into the city. There's people know what's going in. Even though these guys came in as spies, they were picked out. So the king went to Rahab saying, Bring out the men who have come to you who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they were from. Uh, and it came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out, and I do not know where the men went. Oh, here we go again with the lies and deception. It just fills these stories. So good news is we're going to eventually get outside of some of these. But, but here we are again. So she's saving them, but she's doing it deceptively. She'd taken them up to the roof. The men took out of the gate. And, and went to hunt down the two spies. And then Rahab comes back and says now to them, and she went up on the roof and said, starting in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all of the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, and to Sihon and Og, and who you utterly destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Now therefore, she pleads, do you hear what she's saying? Do you remember the 12 spies that looked in and saw these giants that they were deathly afraid of, that they just couldn't figure out what to do with them? realize that these guys were sitting and they're shaking in their shoes going, I hope they don't come across the river. I hope they don't come across the river. I hope they don't come across the river. And at the same time, the spies are going, they're too big. Those guys are monsters over there. They'll squash us. It's amazing to see and this woman just pours her heart out. She, she recognizes who God is. There's no hope without him. She sees that. And so what does she say? She doesn't say, please don't come here and take us over. She knows it's beyond that. This is a done deal. The Israelites are coming to take over the country. It's done. It's over. God has already given this into their hand. So therefore, please spare me. I have dealt kindly with you. Please deal kindly with me in my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and mother and my brothers and my sisters who all belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for years if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. What an incredible faith. Stop for a second. The king knows she brought them into her house. The king knows she said they went out. The king's guys are coming back. If they've got any decent people there, they're going to figure out the guys did not leave through the gate. She lets them down through the window. They go away. The king's going to come back, right? The king's got to come back and say, wait a minute, we never found them. We think you're lying to us. But she has so much faith that God will protect her that she wanted to protect these spies. So she did that. She put her own very life in danger. Then think about it. They're going to come capture Jericho. How are they going to know her? Right? The whole city of Jericho, how will they spare her family? Very simple, a thread of scarlet on her window. That's all it took. 
and that we know the walls fell down, right? So she was saved after that. If we go on and read in verse, or chapter 6, verses 22 and 23, we see that, and Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the harlot's house and bring the women and all she has out of there as you have sworn to her. So the young men who were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and brothers and all she had and brought them out. This is already after the walls have fallen. But her wall was protected. And her window and her room and her house were protected with all of her family that were in her house because God saw her faith. A woman of ill repute, a Canaanite on top of it, And God spared her family, but not just that. It wasn't enough to spare her. He inserted her into the line of Christ because of her faith. She abandoned the gods of the Canaanites for Jehovah. She became not only a convert to the true God, but also a part of the Messianic line. She eventually married Solomon and was the mother of Boaz who married Ruth. She was the great-great-grandmother of David. That's so encouraging to me. I get so encouraged when I look at this and say, what a God of grace we serve. What an amazing God of grace that took this woman who had faith more than the spies of the Israelites, more recognized the the truth and reality of who God was than those people whom he had taken across the Red Sea, through the desert, manna every day. When they whined and complained about the manna, he sent them birds, water out of rocks. How much more do you need to see that God is real? A pillar of fire at night, a pillar of smoke during the day that leads them. And here's a woman who saw none of it. Nothing and had more faith than those who had walked the steps of the Israelites. That is a woman who ought to be inserted into the family line. What a blessing. I'm not quite sure where that puts her in my great, 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 great greatness of grandmothership as the adopted into the family of Jesus Christ, but man, am I proud to call her a great, 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 great something grandmother. In Hebrews 11.31, the writer of Hebrews talks about Rahab. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. In James 2.25, in the same way, was not Rahab the harlot's life also justified by her works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? This is a lady of repute, not ill repute. This is a woman who is mentioned in the book of faith because of her faith. And the mother of Boaz. We meet Boaz as we go on because because of Ruth. And Ruth was a Moabite. Now we go back and understand what the Moabites were. Moabites came about in Genesis 19, verses 30 through 38, where where we know that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be demolished And we knew Lot was there. And we knew that Abraham pleaded with God, if there were only 10, God, if there were only 10, would you spare? And God, of course, said yes. But there weren't 10. So he sent down the angels and told Lot and his family to leave. And Lot and his two daughters left. 
and his wife, but his wife turned around and looked and became a pillar of salt. So Lot and his two daughters took off. His two daughters got him drunk, and, and he impregnated both of them. So the Moabites came out of incest. And so here we are, right? We're back into this part where you just kind of go, ah, oh, you know, those are things better left in the, in the skeleton chest. Maybe we just won't talk about that side of the family uh, anymore. But we're going to pick this up because in, in Ruth, we, we come up with, with Ruth. So we, we learn a little bit more about Ruth and Naomi. So if we, if we look at Ruth chapter 1, we're going to figure out a little bit more of what's going on here. So in the days of the judges uh, governed, there was a famine in the land, and a, a certain man of Bethlehem of, in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. So they, they took off, and, and they did that. And uh, his wife was Naomi, and his two sons were Malon and Chilion, and the Phrates, uh, Ephratites of Bethlehem and Judah. Now they entered the land of Moab and remained there. And, and her, Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. And her two sons took daughters from the Moabites, which would not have been a popular thing, really. And certainly had the father been alive, my guess is he would not have allowed that. But the father died, and, and the mother had the two sons, and they, they moved on. And, and then Naomi's two sons both died as well. So she had two daughters now, uh, and, and no sons, and she decided that she should move back because she heard that, uh, that, in fact, the Lord had visited his people and had been giving them food, so she was going to go back there with her two daughters. And she said to them, you know, why don't you go back to your families? I have no more children. I have no husband. I'm not going to have any more children. And even if I did, even if there were twin sons in my womb right now, would you wait until they were grown so that you could marry them? So go back, and, and you should go back to your people. And, and so they, they, the one of the daughters said, uh, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. But Ruth said, no. No, I'm going, I'm going to stay. And we pick up in verse 15, and Naomi's talking to Ruth. Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods, small g. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, capital G, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. What, what a beautiful picture now again of a woman that has completely embraced God. She's leaving her family. She's going with her mother-in-law. And there's no hope for her to have a father or a husband. Really, so she stopped and realized that because the, the tradition is that it should be somebody of, her of, of Ruth, I'm sorry, Naomi's family for her to marry. And Naomi doesn't even know for sure whether there's anybody left of her family. And what happened after the famine because they've been away for some years. And so she's going back completely on faith. God will take care of her. It will be fine. Whatever happens, happened. And what we know is in chapter 4, we go on and find out that she meets Boaz and she becomes the wife of Boaz. So in chapter 4, verses 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. And then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. 
Little did she know. Little did she know. She is a great-grandmother of David. What a beautiful story. So here we have a Moabite who marries the great-great-great or the great-great-grandson of a harlot and Canaanite who comes from an Israelite harlot descent, but with faith that just won't quit. And we have Ruth. And David was born a couple of generations later. And we meet Bathsheba. So Bathsheba now is another unlikely person inserted into the family line. And we, we pick up on Bathsheba in 2 Samuel, verse 11. And, and we, we all know the story of, of Bathsheba. So David was sitting at home in the spring when kings go out to battle. So the first chapter 11, verse 1, then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel as they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David stayed at Jerusalem. A bad choice. The king's supposed to go with his men. It's like the captain going down with his ship. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it's supposed to be. And, And David didn't do that. So he had time on his hands. And this is, ought to be a lesson for all of us not to allow ourselves to get time on our hands because when we have time on our hands, we do things we ought not to do. And David was walking the walls of the palace, checking out his kingdom, and whom should he see but Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. And now, had David been out fighting the battle like the man he should have been, this would have never been an issue and this would have never happened. But he wasn't. And so he lusted after Bathsheba he brought her in, and, and, he, and he went into her, and she conceived. And, and then he, he added insult to injury, and he had her husband killed. Sent to the front line, everybody push up to the front line, get to the most dangerous place possible, and then everybody fall back and let them kill him. Because that way, nobody will know what I've done. Nobody will know. Well, he actually tried that before he brought him back. Remember his story, he brought him back to Jerusalem and uh, so he might go in to his wife, and then everybody would think the baby was his. But he said, no, my men are fighting. I'm going to sleep on the ground. I'm not even going to go to my house and do that. Because he, he was a man after his word, and, and David had lost some of that. But, but David was very fortunate that Nathan came to him, right, and, and, and brought this right to him. And so we know the problems from there, and, and we see a beautiful picture of repentance in Psalm 51, so we know that she was pregnant. We know that Uriah was killed. And, and we know that then she became, that the child became very sick after it was born. And David uh, went in sackcloth and fasted and prayed to the Lord. And then when the, when the baby died, he comforted his wife Bathsheba. And we see that in, in chapter 12, verses 24 and 25. And David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went into her and lay with her and she gave birth to a son. And he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him. And we carry on in the family line of Jesus Christ. So Bathsheba was was an Israelite. But but this was was born, Solomon was born out of, of, of an adulterous relationship. And then murder 
in order to cover up the adulterer, uh, the adultery. And, and so we have a woman now that, that was brought into this unfairly. Someone who did not create her circumstances. She lived with her circumstances. And so she, she was responsive to the king because the king demanded. And yet God said uh, that he would use her as part of the lineage of the family of Christ. And we carry on now to Mary. So we go a number of generations to Mary. And, and we see now how God picked this woman who, who fit. She fit. It makes sense. When we look at Mary, we could all have written this story with a Mary in mind. We could have, we could have done that. I, I think of Mary and I think of, of what it must have been like and what it must have, have seemed. And if we see, go to Luke chapter 1, and we start in verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming into her, he said, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. That just must have been astounding. But Mary fit. She's a perfect person to have right alongside Eve and Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba in the family line of Jesus Christ. She was just perfect, just like they were. This wasn't a mistake. God, you realize, God didn't go, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, who's available? Oh, I don't want to, maybe Tamar, but let's see, who else? No, come on. Oh, no. No, he chose Tamar. He knew when Eve sinned that in the family line of Christ would be Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba and, yes, Mary. He, he had them perfectly set up to carry on the line. And Mary's response to, to Gabriel was to sit back and be troubled by his statement and pondering what this might mean. And he said to her, as if hearing her, don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. Perfectly placed alongside the other ladies in the family tree of Jesus Christ for us, for us to see. And what a wonderful mother very concerned in Luke 2. We see her concern. So they, were, they had been back to Jerusalem and they had left and they traveled a couple of days and found out, wait a minute, where's Jesus? Where'd he go? What happened? In Luke 2, 41, and his parents used to go to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. 
and asked whether they were returning. After spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind, and his parents were unaware of it. They thought he was in there. They followed. They went back to Jerusalem, and after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have seen, been anxiously looking for you. And he said, Why is it that you are looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? And he did not, they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And they went down to him and came to Nazareth. And he continued in subjection to them. Mother of concern, where's my son? And when she went in and saw him and, and, and looked at that, she's wrestling with this, well, you should have known I'd be here. But even then, he was respectful of his parents. And we see Christ's response to his mother of subjection and to his father. He could have stayed. He could have said, I belong here. But he was obedient to Mary. The mothers. We just, we just learned of six women in the family tree of Christ. We have the first sinner, two harlots, a cursed Moabite, an adulteress, and his mother. Right? Those are the ones that are listed purposely for us to look at, for us to see, for us to recognize that God had a special place and has a special place in his heart for us. Because they're just like us. These guys are no different than that. We had cursed kings in the lineage. We had men who lied. We had men who were deceivers. But God picked not perfect people, but rather he picked people to perfect, just like us. Because some 2,000 years after the death of Christ, he knew that we'd need to know that you don't have to start perfect. You can get there. You need faith in Him. He has a spot for us, for all of us. No matter what your life has looked like before today even, today can be the day that you look like Rahab and you say, God, I know you are going to win. I know that this earth that we see will go away and that the new heaven and the new earth will be perfect, and I want to be there with you. You can pick today, even no matter what has happened in your path, no matter what this looks like, Canaanite, harlot, liar, deceiver, cheat, sinner, those are the good things. No matter what that looks like in your life, today can be the day that you move forward like these women, and be inserted into the family. Do you realize that all of us are inserts? All of us that have claimed Christ are inserts. We don't belong to the line. We're, we're not born into it. We're not, we, we weren't in the original plan of, of the lineage, but we've been inserted into the family. We are just like these ladies. This was made for us to recognize you can get inserted and it's a good spot to be and just see what God has in store for you. So we can't be, we can't be those who come before Christ anymore because He's already here. But we can be those who come after and share Him with people. 
we, we can't be the great-grandfathers and mothers of Christ because He's already come. But He's coming back. And don't you want to be the ones who are going to proclaim Him to people, to proclaim His greatness and His glory so that they can get inserted too? That's what we want to be about. So we come back today and look at this wonderful, amazing, astounding group of women that God put on display. And we use them to recognize our mothers. All of us here have one. Right? Some of us here are, and some will become. And God has a plan for every single one of you wonderful women. Every single one of you. For those of us that have mothers, let's recognize them today. There may be a lot of pain associated with your mother. There may be amazing wonder associated with your mother. It doesn't really matter. You should honor them. God makes it pretty clear. Exodus, Proverbs, Matthew. We could spend a whole day just listing the verses that talks about honoring your mother. And there are no qualifiers with these verses, by the way. There are none of those, if she's been a good mother, honor her. If not, kick her. Right? Burn her. No, there are no qualifications. Just do it. Value. Give respect. Be encouraging. For those of you who are mothers, accept it. Accept the day. Let us spoil you rotten. Let us take care of you and cherish you and love you. And those of you who will be, look forward to the day that you can be recognized right alongside Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, Bathsheba, Eve, and Mary. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for these ladies. I just can't tell you how encouraged I always am, God, in reading your word and understanding how you work. And Lord, you don't tell us through this to encourage us to do wrong things and it'll be okay. But rather you encourage us to say, I know you've done bad things. Please come to me. Please bend your knee to me and it'll be okay. But, but, then, but then step up and be the person I need you to be. Lord, we know that all have fallen short of your glory, and we have all sinned, and that we deserve death and separation from you forever. But you, Lord, in your absolute and incredible mercy, have forgiven us of our sins as Jesus hung on the cross. He took all of those sins upon himself. Lord, even today is a day to turn away from our sinful past and bow our knee to you. Lord, if there's anybody here that is struggling, anybody here that is holding back, anyone here that, that just hasn't gotten there yet, Lord, would you, would you change their heart? Would you bring them to a point of repentance and salvation today? And thank you for these women, Lord, that we can celebrate today those from the, the Bible and those here in our midst and, and those that uh, we need to call and thank for their, their benefit to us in our lives. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.